welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. A happy Wednesday. Welcome into Soccer Morning here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. We are live on the two-year anniversary of this program. Now, we've gone through many different iterations. I'm just going to play that music, apparently. We've gone through many dinner, different iterations of this show and different... We had a, Originally, we started with a two-hour format way back in April of 2013, and the show was called American Soccer Morning. We sort of evolved from there, and eventually we joined up with Kick TV, and we had a, a format which was... Uh, did we start tightening it up then, or was that later, Trevor? I, I can barely remember. It's been... Such a crazy two years. But we were American Soccer Morning. We joined up with Kick TV. There was... That ended for various reasons in January of 2014. And if you remember January of 2014, we, we didn't know what was going on there. We didn't know where we would be. We didn't know if we were going to make it. So we did a couple of, uh, of very fun shows. Still, I think the most famous shows in the Soccer Morning Archive. The... Pro-Rel show, the only appearance of you-know-who ever on this program, as far as I know. I mean, he could have called in at some point and slipped by. Now we've got a screening process. Maybe he'll slip by Trevor at some point in the near future. <laughs> I kind of want to encourage said person to try just to see if it could happen. But we did that show, and then we did the Americanized Soccer Show. You guys, that one might get pushed aside a little bit. Because I think people think of that one as the crazier of the two, believe it or not. And yes, we did a show on Americanizing soccer. And there is a gentleman out there who uses like four different names who swears we should be changing the game to appeal more to the American so- uh, sports fan. Stuff like, what were his, his, what was his suggestions? Like, like, it was definitely like widening the goal, right? Making the goal bigger. Uh, timeouts, were there timeouts involved? I feel like there were, was, could you pick the ball up and run with it? Is that maybe what he was suggesting? <laughs> ah, those were the, those are the days. We, um, we also had some, I, I'm going to lay this out here, but I'm gonna, I, I got headlines to, uh, uh, coming up. I've got two excellent guests today. Jeff Plush, the NWSL commissioner for our commissioner, our American soccer commissioner bingo card will join us. In just a couple of minutes to talk about the start of that, uh, of their season, the NWSL season, third NWSL season on Friday. And then our friend Tom Marshall from down south of the border will join us to talk about some Mexican topics, a couple of things. I mentioned Guardado's comments about Mexican owners not letting the players go for, uh, for foreign, uh, foreign locales. You got, uh, Tijuana's Juanarango biting people. You got Chicharito and that's, that's speculation. There's always things swirling around the Mexican national team. So we'll talk to Tom about those things. And I'm going to get to the headlines here in a second. But what I want to do for our second anniversary, and, you know, let's knock on what I don't have any. Oh, wait. Let's, uh, for our second anniversary, let's, uh, let's do this. Let's open up suggestions for the best moments from the show, your memories, whatever you love about Soccer Morning, whatever you enjoyed most over the past two years. Throw it up there on Twitter, at Soccer Morning. We'll open the phone lines later after we talk to our guest today. I'll let you jump in with that. 
We'll take your calls on anything, but I think it's an appropriate time. The anniversary, a little navel-gazing is okay on an anniversary show. Two years we've been doing this. I don't even know how many shows that is. I know we missed some time here and there, but I don't even know how many shows that is. It could be 6,000, no, it's not 6,000 shows. It could be a lot of shows. And I, it, Part of the thing that, you, that Trevor and I deal with all the time is that we forget what we've done. <laughs> we don't remember what we've done. We don't remember what guests we've had. We don't remember what the best shows were. We don't remember what interesting things were said. Sometimes we go, sometimes when we're brainstorming ideas or we're trying to come up with guests to have on the program, I'll throw out a name or Trevor will throw out a name and we'll go, have we had that guy or that girl before? I can't remember. Have we? That's pretty much our lives. When you're doing a daily show like this, you got to put it together. All right, let's do some headlines. Again, what I meant to say earlier is I hope we make it to three years. I said on Twitter yesterday, I have no idea if we are going to make it to three years. I didn't mean that as things are looking bleak. I meant that as... Who knows what's going to happen over the course of the next year. We've got a fantastic partner in World Soccer Talk. We're very excited for what, what may be coming up. Got a big summer of soccer coming up. We're definitely going to be around. Just stick with us. But you never know. Let's see if we're here in April of 2016. The Montreal Impact have advanced to the CONCACAF Champions League final after beating Alawalense. Uh, on aggregate by away goals last night. They lose that match 4-2. In uh, in Costa Rica, and yet advance on the away goal or goals rule. Two two goals from Montreal, one from Jack McInerney, and one from Romero sealed that uh, that game for Montreal. It was a, a very if you watched any of that game, it was Concacaf to its core. It was almost peak Concacaf. You had diving and physical play, and and uh, players hitting each other in the face. And time-wasting on the part, especially of Evan Bush, goalkeeper for Montreal, who picked up a yellow card for his trouble. Now, this is the first MLS team to make the final of this tournament since 2011 when RSL did it. Uh, we obviously know how that turned out. And the first Canadian team to make the final. This is uh, a big deal, and congratulations to Montreal. Difficult to imagine that they would uh, go down to uh, Costa Rica and pull it off, and yet they did. And you know what? Give them credit for playing CONCACAF-style soccer. They were not afraid to mix it up a little bit, and that needed to happen in order for them to get through this round. Christian Benteke scored a hat trick as Villa drew with QPR 3-3. That's a a game with big relegation implications in the English Premier League. Benteke on fire uh, for Aston Villa. Remember, this is a club that had lots of trouble scoring goals and now has, uh, has had some renewed life under Tim Sherwood. Russia has cut the 2018 World Cup budget by eliminating uh, luxury hotels. They were going to build some luxury hotels, and then they decided, hey, let's not do that. Russia's sports minister says the budget for the 2018 World Cup is being cut by 4% by scrapping luxury hotels that might otherwise lie empty after the tournament. The move would reduce the cost from 664 billion rubles to 637.6 billion rubles, said Vitaly Mutko. We don't want elite hotels to end up out of demand after the World Cup. Muko said 25 hotels will be cut from the organizer's program across the 11 host cities. I want to know where Sepp's going to stay now. If you're not going to build all these luxury hotels, where's Sepp Blatter going to stay when he's most certainly the president of FIFA still? I mean, I'm sure they've got some other hotels available for, for Mr. Blatter, 
I'm sure he'll be welcomed with open arms. Here's a story with watching. I don't want to put a lot on, the, uh, on this. He's a 16-year-old kid, but Martin Odegaard, the Norwegian prodigy who signed with Real Madrid, is in the news for being a bit of a brat. Apparently, Martin likes to train and be around one Cristiano Ronaldo because what 16-year-old wouldn't? But that means he's missing out on reserve team uh, reserve team training, not integrating well with his team. He's played seven matches for the reserve team and scored one goal, and now apparently he's been dropped. When, he's, when you're a 16-year-old kid and you're handed the world, can anybody really fault you if you turn out to be a brat? We all want to imagine that somehow teenagers are going to come out right, that they're going to have their head on straight. It's a lot to throw out a kid. And now he's uh, acting like a brat. And I don't think anybody should be surprised. And Real Madrid apparently has changed things up a little bit. They promised him some stuff. We're backing down a little bit. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, Jeff Plush, commissioner of the North, uh, sorry, the National Women's Soccer League will join us. Don't go anywhere. Soccer morning, two-year anniversary, worldsoccertalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we are back on Soccer Morning, joined now by the Commissioner of the National Women's Soccer League, Mr. Jeff Plush. Jeff, how are you, sir? I'm very good, Jason. Thanks for having me. I'm, uh, thanks, uh, thanks for coming on with us. I, I, I like talking to commissioners just before their season starts. I imagine this is as close as an adult human being can get to Christmas Eve type excitement how do you feel two days from the start of the 2015 nwsl season very much like it's christmas eve i think you're you are uh, very spot on on that it's you know you put all the the hard work and um, effort and long nights in the off season and planning and trying to get things right in anticipation of of that first game day and so uh we're very excited. Um, nine clubs, you know, four matches this weekend. The first one, obviously, in Houston against, you know, the Dash versus the Spirit, and, and we couldn't be more excited. And obviously, for myself, having this be my first go around with the with the NWSL, I'm I'm particularly excited. Yeah, talk to me about taking the job and and what uh, you know what you thought were the most important things to tackle, and obviously. You know, just to give some context, and I think most people are aware of this, when it comes to women's soccer in this country, in the, in the professional leagues, things have not always gone well. And, and, and WSL is the latest attempt and probably the strongest, but how do you make sure that that's, that's the case? Well, I think you're right. Look, the the past leagues um, had some challenges, but they also had some successes. I think we forget that as well. And and the appetite to watch our sport is real, and that's the most encouraging thing. I've been to all nine clubs and, and spent time with owners and front office staff and spent time with some of the players and people in the community, and there's no, there's no doubt that there's a passion and support for this. It's how do we build a sustainable model. Um, clearly, the relationships that we have with with certainly primarily the U.S. Soccer Federation, but also the Canadian Soccer Association as well as the Mexican uh, Federation is a significant point of difference between the the previous leagues and our league. Um, and that gives us that platform for sustainability and, and long-term success. 
uh, I would tell you that the appetite around expansion and the dialogues we're having are very real, very serious with substantive groups, but in large part built from that long-term commitment from the federations. Now, Jeff, the um, you know we talk about this with expansion in any sort of American soccer venue, whether it's MLS or NASL or NWSL, and you know, it's a matter of the talent and the available talent, making sure you're not thinning things out too much and that the talent pool is is deep enough and rich enough, and, and it brings me to the to some issues that the NWSL has faced recently, and that's some players choosing to uh, to forego a professional soccer career and, and go into you know a civilian life, for lack of a better phrase. Is, is that something that you have to tackle in addition to whatever expansion opportunities are coming along? Well, certainly. I think anytime you have a, a segment of your player pool choosing to retire for whatever reason, you you have to be reflective about that and, and certainly look to see if there's things that we can do different operationally. I would say some of it is, is just the reality of life. I mean, right. I think we've had uh, some of the young girls want to go back and, and uh, get a degree, a master's degree, or we have pregnancies or marriages. I mean, those are all things that are, are things to celebrate as a part of someone's life. So I think there's always going to be a nuance to the women's league that doesn't necessarily exist in the men's. I mean, as we all probably know, you know, most men will play until you cut their leg off. Um, I think women are built differently, and that's to be something to be uh, excited about and proud of. And it's a very very disciplined, hardworking group of young women we have. Um, and with that comes other opportunities for them. Well, um, just, to, just to tip in, I mean, MLS has dealt with this before. I mean, maybe not on a, a large scale, but there, we, we've had some high-profile high retirements out of MLS in the first uh, decade and a half of that of that league. So uh, go ahead. Well, certainly. Look, when I was, uh, when I was you know, very, very proud to be in MLS and on the board and running a club, you know, we had, we had guys who would walk away from the game at, at – the early stages of their career and a lot of them because and it's the same for the women's game a lot of our players come from the kinds of backgrounds and, and education and, and the collegiate experience when when you're playing it whether it's duke or north carolina or ucla stanford you know you've got a very good education you have other options um and so that's okay that's that's part of what um the process will be but we also know that our long-term viability is is going to be aided by building out a long-term player development strategy and academy system not only to build the player pool but also to create in additional incremental opportunities for our players that when they get to the end of their playing career they mm -hmm. still can be involved with our sport and involved with our, our clubs yeah you know uh that is a it's one of those things that cuts both ways, the, the, the relative education of the of the player pool, but how do you make sure that that's a strength and in, in beyond, you know, beyond post-career? Is that something that you guys can highlight as a league? I mean, you, I'm sure you're doing that as as much as you can now and with the storied programs that exist in women's college soccer, but how much more can you get out of the fact that, hey, we've got a, a group of players here who are well-educated, who went to some of the best schools in the country and, and became athletes and are also role models for young girls? Oh, I think it's. I think we we aren't doing enough. We can do a lot more in that area, um, and we'll continue to do more. It's um, it's certainly part of of every every interview I give or every sponsorship pitch we've been a part of is talking about this great uh, player pool and these great role models, um, educated, disciplined, hardworking, team team oriented, um, all the things. That look, you know, I've got two daughters. I'd love for them to grow up to be like some of these young women we have in our league. So um, I, I don't think you can tell that story enough or loudly enough. And I think we have to be proud and, um, and maybe a lot louder about how, how great our girls are. 
Um, and in particular, I think we've sometimes been, um, and maybe it's, it's our mistake, but sometimes you rely just on the most high-profile players and the asking players. We've got other great players in this league and great stories that need to be told as well, and we'll, uh, we'll continue to do that and do it much more aggressively. Yeah, how does that dy- dynamic work for you internally when you look at how important the U.S. women's national team is to the profile of women's soccer while at the same time not being the end all be all of women's soccer is that is there a, is there a bit of a push pull you've got a a season this year that's going to be seriously impacted by the women's world cup you got the olympics next year how much do these things play into how 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 you market your league on one hand because hey look we've got Abby Wambach well we'll get to her in a minute we've got all of the we've got all of these players uh, that are on the national team but also you know hey we've got some other players who too who may not make that cup but are still damn good well, exactly. And look, I think I think we have to, we just have to understand it's part of the the cadence of our league. You know, two out of every four years, we're going to have a major competition in the middle of it, um, and and we have to look at that as as the positive uh, point of view, which is the eyes of the world are going to be watching women's soccer. That's a positive thing. So we just have to understand that and embrace it as opposed to fight it because it's not going away, and nor should we want it to. Um, and with that, yes, the, the national team players, especially the most high-profile U.S. women's team players, will be gone for a little bit of time. But that's the opportunity for other players to step up. And that happens in every league around the world and every sport around the world. Young players emerge, and that's what um, is great. We need to tell those stories. And, and so I've talked about some of the players that we're excited about seeing this year. And, and some of them are part of the U23 setup. But, you know, high draft picks like, you know, Sarah Killian was the number two pick or Daniel Colaprico or um, Kaylee Ojai. You know, I think there's some really exciting young players that, that we need to do a better job potentially of, of telling the story about so that people are prepared to embrace them when they start to do great stuff. Uh, speaking of Abby Wambach, she's chosen to uh, forego playing in the NWSL this season with uh, the, the Women's World Cup living this summer. And, uh, look, she is... Uh, she's a legend. She she probably has um, you know more miles on her legs than almost anybody else in this league. Playing for both the national team and in various professional contexts. How what did you make? What did you make of her decision when you heard about it? And, and how does that impact the league this year? Well, look, we we supported Abby 100. I mean, percent As you said, she's got a lot of miles on those legs. She's put a tremendous amount into our sport to the benefit, certainly, of our league, to the benefit of the national team, but frankly, to the benefit of women's soccer globally. And so, <clears throat> pardon me, she's certainly earned the right to make a decision that she knows in the best interest of her body. Um, and we'll be her biggest fans this summer. And there's no question that if Abby has a great summer and is is putting the ball in the net we have a very good chance to go deep and that's extremely good for the national women's soccer league. So, um, we support her and, and she's earned this right. Um, does it impact the league? Sure. I mean, I think, are we a better league with Abby in it? I don't think there's any question about that. Um, but, but players come to the ends of their careers and, and that's true, whether it's soccer or, or the NFL, whatever it might be. And so we have to be prepared as a league and a league office to be creating that next tier of players. And, uh, that's the charge both for us and for all nine of our clubs. Speaking of of your nine clubs, and you uh, you had, you alluded to expansion earlier, where are where is the NWSL on expansion at the moment, and how much of that is um, is leading the direction of, of partnering with MLS teams? Well, so we're, it's a it's a significant part of our meeting. We'll have our uh, spring uh, board meeting in Houston on Friday. Um, certainly, a, a major topic of conversation is expansion. We've got significant interest. Uh, I would say it's six uh, six cities involved in the dialogue right now, and that that 
ranges from a fairly introductory level of dialogue to a very extensive uh, level of dialogue. Um, of the six, three are MLS clubs. So I'd say that that's certainly a model that makes a tremendous amount of sense when you look at the existing infrastructure, both both human and, and the physical venue, to both the stadium and the training grounds. Um, so that makes a lot of sense, but clearly there's interest from from more of the independent model as well. So um, it, it comes down to, for us, it's about the right ownership group in the right markets. Uh, geography is, is helpful, but not the driving force. Um, but it's the right quality of people and a quality long-term plan and, and their commitment to the sport and the community. Um, they'll drive it more than timing will. Obviously, you have a lot of factors involved to consider. Um, and when it comes to the MLS teams, again, as you said, the advantage may be the, the facilities, certainly the training facilities and perhaps the stadium situation. How much of, um, uh, how much of a, an issue is that for NWSL moving forward? I mean, I, I, certainly venues are important to the, uh, to the uh, presentation of, of the game, but you obviously, you know, if you're, if you're, you know what size your crowds are going to be. You're not going to put. You're not going to be playing in twenty thousand seat stadiums all over the league and have that work. So, what is the the balancing act there that you guys have to do in terms of making sure that you're putting the game on the way it needs to be seen and the way that'll get people out to the stadium, but at the same time, not uh, turning this into a uh, MLS one Yeah, no. Look, it is a balancing act. You know, if we can find the right venue um, that has the the level of, of capacity that you're looking for to be able to fill it and have an environment that's exciting for the fans and exciting for the players. Um, that's, that's the optimum plan. The, the bigger challenge, frankly, is, is when you're, when you're the second, third, fourth, even fifth tenant in a building, mm-hmm. uh, getting the, the quality of dates that you need to get, which is also part of the, the fan experience is having the right dates, the right part of uh, the calendar to be able to, to be a supporter of a club. So it's a balancing act. Each market is different. Um, I, I think you, you clearly when you, when you control your venue, uh, you see what can happen in a venue like Portland. Um, even uh, even Washington, though, with, with being the primary tenant in that venue, that's a great situation. It's a great mm-hmm. field complex and a great uh, same quality field. Um, and so that's that's a model as well, you know, where we've had some different challenges, where we're at a university setting, where, and no disrespect to the university, because they have their priorities very much in the in the right um, aligned with what they're supposed to be doing, which is take care of their college teams first. Uh, but it, it becomes a little bit more of a challenge to squeeze dates in. So we're always looking. Um, I think I think one of the clubs that have been public in their in their interest in our league, so I'm happy to, to mention, is Real Salt Lake in, in Salt Lake City. And this, for their strategy, would be part of a build of a, of a new venue for their USL club. And so that's the kind of venue, 8,500 to, to 10,000 seats, which is right in our sweet spot. A uh, question here from from Mike on Twitter. He's he he says, how important is slow and sustainable growth to the uh, to the NWSL, and what efforts are being made to to do that? I mean, obviously, expansion is 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 something that you guys are going to look at hard every single time it comes up. But are, are you questioning maybe over expanding, and and how do you maintain sustainable growth? Yeah, I think the the key part of that question is sustainable growth. Look, it doesn't have to be slow. Um, I just think it, we have to be prudent. If if the marketplace responds in a manner that we can accelerate our, our strategy, that's great. 
Um, but I think we need to we need to be prepared to take our time if if uh, if it's warranted. Um, clearly, we don't want to overexpand. We won't overexpand. I think we have a responsibility to continue to look at our player pool, making sure that each club can expand with the best chance for near-term success. Success being you know, being a professional um, professional club and being able to put their best foot forward. That doesn't mean they have to win right away, but certainly we don't want to expand in a way that it kind of impedes the success of an expansion club. Um, but so we're we're looking at all those things, and that may impact some of our thoughts relative to roster size or or how the reserve system could be unfolded. With, with an academy strategy to continue to build out a player pool. Um, and so sustainable growth is the right model. It's, it's making sure that we are looking to drive revenue proportionate to, to our expenses. Um, and then we'll see what the timeline looks like uh, over the next three to five years. How important is, uh, is television to the growth of the NWSL? Well, certainly important. I think, look, television is still a, a major primary driver of how people consume uh, content now, how it's deployed over multiple screens—that's you know—that's part of that strategy as well. But but uh, we we are very engaged in a television negotiation. I have every confidence that we'll have something to announce in the next couple of weeks here. Um, and I think the exciting part of of where we are in that negotiation is it's all been around a multi-year deal. Um, and so so outside entities like media partners or expansion. Uh, interested parties all are looking at this as a long-term play, and that's that's exactly the way we want them to look at it. Well, you know, as a as a sort of addendum to that question, is something that that uh, obviously the men's game has dealt with um, for the last twenty years or so is, is is just making sure that that these outlets, whether they are broadcasting in WSL or not, are covering in WSL, are looking at this league, are treating it as seriously as it should be treated as a top-level competition, as you know, possibly the best women's league in the world. Are you? Are you actively pushing those avenues? How do you do that as a league? Well, we are actively pushing it. I think, as you can imagine, it's it's um, it's a little bit of an uphill struggle on on certain uh, platforms and certain networks, but that's okay. I think again, we have to be mindful of where we are in the process. Um, we we likely are. We're certainly one of the best leagues in the world. I'd let other people determine where they want to rank us, but the the point certainly is clear that we have some of the very best and certainly the most high profile players in the world. Um, and we just continue to do our job and, and build build clubs that have relevance in their local markets, put a competition out there that people can be excited about. I think, and you guys followed it closely, I think the, the run-in after the World Cup for our uh, four playoff spots in our championship is going to be very exciting, very, very hotly contested, uh, a lot of six-point matches coming down the stretch. So that'll be, that'll be great fun for everyone. Um, and so I, I just think you have to continue to do what you're doing, and we'll continue to push where we can on the PR side of things and, and developing those relationships. And I think you have to earn the right to be covered. Uh, and I think that's part of our challenge and our responsibility. Uh, Jeff, as a look, as a as a as a man in charge of a women's professional sports league, I I have to ask you this question. If I fumble this, I apologize. But do you have difficulty? And does NWSL as an organization have difficulty finding the right balance when it comes to marketing your league and the what attributes, uh, if you know what I mean, of the players to market? Well, I think I know what you mean, and um, yeah, no, we don't have difficulty with that. Um, we just market. We market their 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 playing ability. Okay. Um, we we market the sport. Um, look, we have we have likely the best players in the world playing the certainly the the biggest and most followed sport in the world in the best economy in which to live and work and do business. So those are all positive things. I don't think we have to overthink some of this. Um, 
you know, and and let some of the young women speak for themselves. Again, back to that articulate, educated, um, passionate player that we already have. So I think I think they can speak for themselves and and just uh, put it out there as a great athlete. I think that's fair enough. Jeff Plush, Commissioner of the National Women's Soccer League, getting underway, as he said on Friday with the Washington Spirit visiting the Houston Dash. Uh, Jeff, I appreciate your time and and best of luck on uh, on on the new season. Yeah, thanks very much. Certainly anytime, and I appreciate you guys' help and support. There you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll shift down to Mexico, talk to Tom Marshall about some things happening with L3 and certainly the league in Mexico. It's Soccer Morning, two-year anniversary. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go back on Soccer Morning and joined now on the telephone by Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup on Twitter. You can find him all over the place, but also on your television. And as I said, follow him on Twitter for all of the uh, excellent work that Tom is doing. Tom, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Jason. Yeah, it's very good. 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 Couple of Libertadores yesterday, so uh, Ah, there you go. All good. Uh, it's it's good to have you back. Uh, maybe we can touch on on the Copa Libertadores uh, in a bit. I I, I think I want to start with something I mentioned on the show yesterday. Some comments from Andres Guardado, who's playing at, at PSV in the Netherlands, and talking about uh, the way that Mexican players are coveted, so coveted in Mexico, certainly the top level Mexican players, that they're not allowed to to go and spread their wings abroad. Now, I think this may be an issue that uh, a lot of players face in a lot of different countries, Tom, but specifically when it comes to Mexican players. And, and we've seen sort of a decline in the influence of Mexican players, especially in Europe. Is he right about this in the way that, that as he said, the owners treat everybody like they're messy? Yeah, I think the, the owners want a lot of money for the players at the minute. Um, I think he's right in saying it. I think that he doesn't, what he doesn't say is that, you know, the re- one of the main reasons is that because... Uh, Mexican players obviously get paid extremely well once they're established in in first teams. So you know they get they're getting good money, and and they, there isn't a free contract here. So there's the Pacto de Caballeros or the Gentleman's Agreement, where where even when a player doesn't have a contract, when the contract runs down, they're still not free to leave. Um, so obviously that that kind of inflates the price compared to other countries. Whereas say for example Chicharito at the minute, Manchester United this summer will have one year left on his contract naturally his price will come down um, and, and it'll be a lot easier to negotiate. Whereas with a Mexican club, that won't happen because they aren't free to leave even when the contract ends. It's, uh, it's yeah, there is that, <laughs> there is a matter of that, which I don't think gets enough, I don't think that gets enough pub up here in the States, Tom. I don't think we talk enough yeah. about how that's not, uh, these players aren't allowed to leave necessarily when their contract is up, especially considering what the MLS players just went through with their union and their bargaining agreement. Uh, in in a in a larger sense, though, give me your notion of where Mexican talent is at the moment. Like there are some transcendent top level players coming out of Mexico. Um, not all of them get a chance to play in Europe, especially at the in their prime necessarily. But is there a is this a generation of Mexican players who could be doing more in Europe if only the Mexican owners of these clubs would let them go a little bit more? 
I think that it's a bit of a transition period right now if you look at the national team because, I mean, I think people look at the likes of Rafa Marquez and, and Massa Rodriguez who I think would still be in that first eleven if you're picking a, a Mexican team to play now at the Gold Cup or, or a World Cup. But I think what's happening now, I think we, we are starting to see in the Liga MX a, a, a good generation, a good bunch of players coming through um, that I think in the next couple of years will start to break through to the national team. And I think it's once they get into that national team, then the, the, the European scouts look, uh, you know, look a bit harder and, and they definitely want to come in and, and, and stick a player before he actually becomes a massive you know, star within Mexico. So I think that... Um, I think it's a transition period, but I think there's plenty of hope for the future in terms of a, there, is, there are a lot of talented young players in Mexico right now. And it's just a, a question of them, you know, breaking through and, uh, and, and especially into the, into the national team. Let, let me turn then, let me turn this discussion to Tutorito Hernandez specifically. Um, uh, it, it started to go badly at, at Manchester United. He gets a loan. He happens to get a loan to probably the biggest club in the world, and he hasn't been playing much. Tom and and now there's a rampant speculation. Some of it is is, is in relation to MLS, but th- to me it, it it would make more sense for Chicharito to go home. What what is the feeling right now in Mexico on his status and whether or not he should stick it out in Europe? Maybe go find a mid level uh, mid table team somewhere or a team on the in the Europa League level. I'm certainly he's certainly good enough for that. There may be Champions League teams that could use his abilities, or if he should come back to Mexico, get paid and be a star. No, I think the feeling is that. I think from him as well, everything that's come out of what what he said, is that I think he he really wants to prove himself now. I think that I I mean a lot of people in Mexico thought he shouldn't have gone to Real Madrid, but I can't deny him that when when you know one of the biggest teams in the world comes in, I think that he thought he had a chance of getting that starting spot. All right, hindsight proves that he was wrong there, but I mean um, you know I think I think he really needs to stay in Europe for at least a few more years and uh, prove himself. I think he wants to do that for himself as well. Um, and I think that the MLS link, I think it's. I don't think he's going to go to MLS right now. I, I definitely don't think he's going to come back to Mexico. Um, and I think that I think he'll end up in MLS in a few years. I mean, maybe after the next World Cup. You know, he moves on this summer after the next World Cup. He'll be you know Mexico's highest ever scorer. You know, goes to MLS. I mean, I was in Los Angeles with you know um, the other week against Ecuador for Mexico against Ecuador and you know 90,000 people there so you can imagine the type of effect that Chicharito would have in in the in MLS um, but yeah that's how I see him and then maybe finishing his career for one year down at Chivas to, to kind of finish it all off uh, yeah he gets there's a, a lot of different paths available to him it's just again as you said it's whether or not he wants to continue to prove himself in Europe and I completely the under, I completely understand the mentality of sticking it out it's just that as He's, you know, sitting on the bench at Real Madrid collecting dust. His prime is seeping away a little bit. Now, he's, he's not an old player by any stretch of the imagination, Tom, so he's got plenty of time left. But I guess that with that question of whether or not he would come to MLS, and you, as you said, he could come to MLS and then go, go back home to Guadalajara and play a, a year or two, is, is he more likely to, if he leaves Europe, is he more likely to turn to MLS because of sort of the new marketing op- opportunities that presents, or you think that that's more likely than, than, than going back to Mexico right away? I think so, definitely, honestly. I mean, I think that if he comes back to Chivas now, it's like he, he'll just be so, in such a kind of, he won't be able to <laughs> leave his house. Right. You know, he really will be the, the pressure, and I think that, you know, at the end of the day, MLS, I think, with the, you know, the detonated players can, can pay more as well. I mean, I think in general, obviously, we've talked before, Jason, about in general, the Mexican teams can pay players more. But when it comes to that top level, mm-hmm. Mexican teams can't compete. 
and obviously Chicharito would would undoubtedly fit in that you know top level of the des- designated players. So I mean that's the thing about MLS. I mean MLS could come in now and make a huge offer for Chicharito. I mean I think everybody in MLS understands the marketing potential and the fact that he's a very good player. Let's not forget that. But um, but you know it's, I think it'd be up to him then. And I think that he as a person, I don't think the finances he's already made a hell of a lot of money. Um, at the two clubs he's, he's played at, I think marketing-wise, he's you know he's got all these deals. He's always on TV adverts in Mexico and and you know around the world as well. So I think that you know I, I see more of the MLS thing that something that will definitely happen, but I think it will happen after the next World Cup. Well, all we know is that there can't be a bidding war because MLS is weird like that. Somebody has to have a <laughs> uh, was a discovery claim on Chicharito Hernandez. Oh, I discovered <laughs> that player over in Europe. <laughs> Uh, just uh, here's a question from uh, from Gringo Mark on Twitter. He wa- he wants to know, and this comes back to, as you said, sort of the the notion of players not being able to move on when their contracts are are up. MLS has got a players union that's collectively bargaining things with the ownership uh, the ownership of the league. Uh, there is there anything like that in Mexico? Is there any push for that in Mexico? And and why isn't there a union if there isn't? There is a, a players commission, but it's linked to the league. So it's not very independent. So it's yeah. I mean, the players really need to need to form their own independent union and push for their own rights, which would include kind of you know free movement at the end of a contract. Um, there is talk of it. Uh, you know, people come out like Guardados come out, but in terms of actually getting close to actually forming a real union that is going to change the way the game is work, the game works. No, I don't think it's a long way off. I mean, um, the problem is that once players get to that comfort level where they are making very, very good money, I mean, it's a Mexico context as well. You know, people in general make a lot less here in comparison to the United States, obviously. Mm. Um, so once player get, once a player gets into that zone, it's very difficult for them to come out and say, right. you know, oh, we need to be doing this, we need to be doing that. Why? Right. Because quite frankly, you know, there's, there's very few agents here who, who, who control a lot of players. And, and a lot of clubs as well. And and it's very difficult once a player comes out and, and goes against the system that they'll then be allowed to kind of move within that same system. <laughs> it's a bit of a grey area. Yeah. It's difficult to explain, but I mean, that is, you know, from conversations you have, that is how it works. There's a lot of grey in Mexico. It's, it's interesting that, um, you know, from, from our perspective here in the States, Tom, that this is the most popular league in America, in the United States, and you you can you can see that through the television ratings. And yes, of course, that's with a certain segment of the population, but it's a very growing, very increasingly affluent segment of the population with a lot of mar- you know without a buying power and, and all those things that marketers and and companies care about. Uh, is Mexico? And this is a little off off script for us, but is Mexico? Uh, is the Mexican league? Are they getting the most? Out of that, are they getting the most out of the U.S. market? I know, look, we've got friendlies here. Obviously, L3 comes up here uh, with SUM representing them. It makes a lot of money. But are they? Is, is Mexico as a whole getting enough out of the U.S.? I'd say that uh, the national team, yeah, because obviously they play five games there a year. And, uh, you know, the, the, the complaints of it, the complaint from the Mexican side is that it's too much because, you know, Mexico, I think the first game in Mexico, they, they might play two, three games in Mexico this year. And they might play 10 to 12 in the United States. And I think people in Mexico complain about that. So I don't think it's the national team. I think they're doing a really good, good job marking it. And we saw, you know, 90,000 in, in Los Angeles the other, the other week. But I think it's, I think the league can do a lot more 
I really do. I mean, I really think it should be kind of promoting the English language because I think in the United States, you've got a set of fans there who have grown up watching the Mexican League. And obviously, a lot of them have some level of Spanish. So it's quite easy for them to get, to get um, you know, to, to find out information and stuff. But I think you've now got, and especially within, you know, the United States, the way soccer's grown in general, I think the Liga MX needs to feed into that because they've already got an established market there. And I, I honestly don't think they're doing as much as they can uh, with regards to that. I mean, I think that they should be tweeting in, in English. Um, I think they should have an account in English because, you know, if it, if you want to project yourself as a league, you, you need to you need to appeal to a bigger market, and yeah. that includes other languages as well. I I, re- I know T- uh, Club Tijuana is obviously making a, an effort in that area, and I know Santos Laguna has made an effort in that area, and they have a Twitter account, Club Santos EN, for English language, if you're interested in following that. It's all I know in that regard. And, you know, there's a little off-topic here, but speaking of Tijuana, Juan Arango has, <laughs> has bitten somebody, Tom. Um, th- this is, uh, you know, this is full Luis Suarez territory here, and what are we talking about in terms of punishment for Arango? <laughs> well, yeah, it was, I mean, it was a full-on bite, uh, but Jason, I'll, I'll, I mean, do you know how long he got yet or not? I, I have not seen it myself. No, okay. I, I, right. Well, it's a clear bite on the shoulder. TV replay showed it, and he got two games, which, which for me was absolutely ridiculous. I mean, I know, I know Luis Suarez got four months, and that was because it was, you know, the third time that he'd yeah. that he committed the yeah. same offence. But, I mean, for me, it's like, you know, two games. I know Juan Arango, the, you know, Venezuelan international, like, been playing very well this season. Really quiet guy. I mean, I don't think people expected anything like that from him. But still, I think that it doesn't send a great example out when you can bite someone on the field and, and you get two games. I mean, if you really don't like another player, it's almost worth it. <laughs> yeah, two games is, is nothing. Um, it, <laughs> in terms of, of the way that those punishments are levied, and yeah, okay, you don't have players biting each other very often, so maybe this is <laughs> new territory for, for the league, Tom, but uh, as far as those things go, whether it's a headbutt, an elbow, a rash tackle, um, you know, obviously MLS has made an effort to try to get rid of some of those things with their disciplinary committee. You can argue about how effective it's been. How does Mexico do in terms of, of legislating out some of the worst behavior? Yeah, it's the uh, it's a disciplinary committee that meets after each week and, and decides which punishment, um, you know, the punishments that should be given out. But yeah, <laughs> I think that there's always complaints from from different teams about uh, you know about what's given out. I mean, I think in general, football really needs to needs to sort out what they're doing in terms of punishment and and going back and looking at replays and you know when the referee gives a yellow card and then you can't review it and I don't know, it just seems ridiculous. I think that uh, I think that the world game in general needs a good look at how to how well, to review these offences. One thing we can say is whether Liga MX and MLS is doing enough on that front. When we go into international competition and we are in the CONCACAF Champions League, things get really bad. Things get really crazy. This is I, I think it's one of the more entertaining aspects of the competition, Tom. <laughs> but I think a lot of people, look, if you're, a, if you're a football purist or if you're new to the game, if you happen to be an American and you're like, oh, what's this thing? Let me check this out. It, it, it's abhorrent on some level. It happened last night as Montreal hung on against Alouelense. And you've got, obviously, you've got Aradiano and, and Club America coming off a match that was was rampant with a kick to the had a kick to the head had some stomps had some terrible tackles uh, we can preview that match from a club america standpoint if you want but in terms of concacaf getting their their competition to actually present well enough to become bigger doesn't isn't that got to be first first and foremost 
Well, yeah, I think it's a, a big issue. Um, I mean, that game, that America game in Costa Rica against Herediano was absolutely awful. Uh, I don't think I've seen many games that are, have been like worse for that in terms of being really dirty. But, you know, I think the other side of it is the players have to keep their heads. And I think, to be honest, uh, Montreal have been absolutely amazing in doing that. I think they've played this competition unbelievably well in terms of they played it, they played they played as a conquer team. They've not been trying to be too clean. They've been, they've gone in really hard. They've, they've they've known when to be ugly, especially against Pachuca. Yeah. I thought they really disrupted Pachuca's rhythm and 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 then and then last night, you know, coming up with they got the result. And uh, yeah, I think that yeah, obviously the referee needs to improve, but I think the players also need to need to have to take their responsibility as well because I mean, America against in Herediano against uh, in Costa Rica were. They were awful. They were they were yeah. doing the stomping and they lost the Reds. Mm. And I mean, I think it's uh, you know the players have to take some responsibility as well. So as you look at that match tonight in the Champions League, a cha- uh, Club America's chance to turn over a three nothing deficit against Herediano at the Azteca. You know, as you look at it, it's a massive hill to climb. But it's also Mexico. We've also seen uh, we've seen this happen before, Tom. And and frankly, it would still be a shock to me to to not have a Mexican team in the final. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would be a, a massive shock. I mean, just I think since the since the new format of the competition started, I think in two thousand eight, then there's only been one non Mexican finalist in all that time. I think I'm right in saying that. Um, and yeah, I mean, three 0 down. You have to say that it's an absolutely huge task for America. I mean, definitely the the perception down here and the the road coming out of Club America is that they they believe they can do it. Um, you know, they're not coming into the game in in the greatest of form, but this is an absolutely huge game for the club. I mean, make no mistake about that. I mean, I know some Mexican clubs tend to kind of put the Concacaf Champions League to one side, but this is massive for America. America, have, you know, they're going through a little mini golden period of the history, here, and they're desperate to reach that Club World Cup, mm. um, and you know. I mean, the 3-0 down, though, so I think that's going to be the... Obviously, it's very, very difficult. They're going to have to manage the game really well. But at the same time, I mean, you just can't say that it's not possible because you look at that team that America has, and I think it's the best in CONCACAF. Uh, the firepower that it has is unbelievable. And if they can keep their heads this time and kind of defensively become more organised, like they have over the last couple of weeks, to be fair, in the Liga MX, then, you know, I think they've got a chance and a... You know the price; it's like three dollars, just over three dollars a ticket. Mm. So I think there's going to be quite a few people in the Estadio Azteca tonight. So I think it's definitely a game to watch because it could be uh, hey. could be pretty intense. It's it's Concacaf. It's the Champions League. Definitely... Something's going to happen. Yes, yeah, something's <laughs> going to happen. You should be watching. By the way, you're absolutely right. Since the format changed to the Champions League in Concacaf, you've had one team, and it was Real Salt Lake in 2011, and they lost to Monterrey. That's the only team not from Mexico to make a final. Yes, yeah, so it'd be massive. I mean, if, yeah. if America don't make it, it is, it is, it is huge. Absolutely, would be huge. Uh, briefly, Tom, before I let you go, we do have a USA-Mexico friendly coming up in a week's time. Uh, you, when you look at what, uh, what Herrero is going to do with his team, and obviously this is not a FIFA date. We know that, that Clinton's going to have to rely on MLS players. What do you expect out of Herrera when it comes to his team? Uh, and the makeup of it for for a friendly, which I think was correctly pointed out by Eric Gomez, probably not going to show much of of any you know real substance on either side as they get ready for the Gold Cup. Yeah, I think that um, for for Mexico, it's it's more about the Copa America. Um, I think I think 
it's going to be a similar team to to, the, to what we saw against Paraguay. And I also think we're going to see quite, quite a few surprise names. So I think Pablo Barrera might be back in the squad. Um, Jerry Flores might be making it in there. So I think that he's looking at it from a Copa America's perspective and also to have a look at new players that he hasn't seen so far. Uh, since he took over as Mexico coach. So experimental. It's going to be an experimental uh, lineup. Uh, that should be interesting experimental from uh, Miguel Herrera, and I imagine that Klinsman will be uh, experimenting a bit himself because that seems to be all he does anymore. It's Tom Marshall, <laughs> Mexico World Cup on Twitter. Make sure you're following him. He's doing fantastic work on both uh, in both print and television. Tom, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thanks very much, Jason. Much appreciated. There you go. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will open up the phone lines. You can get in with whatever you want to talk about or give us your best moment from Soccer Morning over the last two years. Phone number 646-832-3909. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go. Phone lines are open. 646-832-3909 is your new number. I will learn it. I promise. I will learn the number. 646-832-3909. If you call the old number like Guillermo is right now, I will not answer your call. That's not fair, Guillermo. I cannot have you circumventing the new system. We've got a we've got a whole thing here. You get to talk to producer Trevor. Told you that's like bonus. How, exa- how exciting is that? <laughs> Hang up and call me back at six four six eight three two thirty nine oh nine. Should we or should we not talk about something written by well written his his little audio hit Frank DeFord, noted sports writer Frank DeFord. If you don't know who he is, I don't really blame you. The guy has been around forever, Uh, 76 years old, covered sports in the United States for a long, long time, but he has not really been super, super relevant for a while. But he shows up on NPR, shows up on NPR and says things like, Nobody cares about MLS in this country. Now, at 76, and and I'm not going to, I don't want to throw a bunch of stones at Frank. I mean, the guy is, (laughs) the, the guy is pretty typical in his mindset, I think, when it comes to soccer. But at least he's saying, at least he's saying that people care about soccer. They just don't care about Americans. I don't know. Pierce, what's up? Hey. Jason, I was kind of talking about um, this topic that you're talking about now. I just, I think we really just need to to calm down a little bit because I'm not excited even about if it. He, I'm not pissed yeah, off. I'm not, oh, I'm not talking about you specifically. I'm talking about more like the American soccer community in general because what he said is is true. We are a niche within a niche, but that's that's not necessarily a bad thing. And and MLS is like a growing thing, so I think that's something that will take care of itself over time it'll become more popular no, I, but yeah sorry, right I, now americans do mostly care about european soccer or league I, MX. I, 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 don't, I don't know but see i think broad brushes are dangerous here not dangerous maybe just incorrect maybe just annoying 
I don't know that Frank DeFord's got a full handle on what's going on with American soccer and what we care about, what we don't care about. Maybe he does. Maybe he's got his finger on the pulse. But do you think 76-year-old Frank DeFord, who, again, has spent most of his life writing about traditional sports that Americans care about, baseball, football, basketball, horse racing. <laughs> I mean, I, at some point, I'm sure he's written about horse racing. Do you think that he really has his finger on the pulse of American soccer fans, Pierce? I don't think so. So when we, when we, when we do this, I, I just think that, look, I'm not getting excited about it because, again, I don't think it matters. I, I, just, I just think yeah. it's fascinating to sort of see that while he has got a point and you certainly look at the television ratings and understand it, it doesn't really tell the whole story. And, and again, we, we generalize. And maybe that's what the sports writer is supposed to do, Pierce. You got anything else, man? No, thank okay, you. I appreciate the phone call. All right. I, 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 yeah, let's, uh, <laughs> let's move on quickly. Let's talk to, uh, I'm not sure who this is, but let's go to this caller who wants to talk about the CCL. What's up? Jason, how are you? This is Bill from Rockland County. What's going on, Bill? I tell you, I'm not even listening to the show, but I just listened to the last two minutes. And I, one of the things I want to talk about last night's game was that here I am. I'm an American living in New York, going crazy, rooting for a team in Canada who's playing in Costa Rica. <laughs> and my whole reason for it is because it's MLS. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I I'm with you on that. I want MLS to do well. I couldn't sleep last night. I was up at two o'clock in the morning after that game because I was so excited that they won. Well, I was up at I, I was up at two o'clock as well. I had to write a piece, and I ended up watching that entire game, and it kind of distracted me. So I'm sort of with you. I don't know that I'm. I don't know that I'm full 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 throated voting or rooting for Montreal to to win everything. I, I mean, I th- obviously it would be good for MLS. I've sort of backed down from that, Bill. I, I, why, why are we so wrapped up in this notion that an MLS team has to go win this tournament as if we need that to validate the league? Even if even if Montreal somehow wins this this competition, and they're going to have to either beat Herediano, who's a very good Costa Rican club, or they have to beat the best Mexican team right now, which may be the best team on the continent in terms of talent, even if they're not playing that well. If they do that, it doesn't necessarily mean MLS is suddenly a big time league or something. I don't know. It, it, it'll be interesting to see. I do. I do think it's a, a little a little humorous to consider how many American soccer fans are going to be a little annoyed to see a Canadian team win it first. Oh, no way. Not at all. I, I won't be. I definitely won't be. I'll be happy. Any team in MLS wins it, I'll be thrilled. And I'm really rooting for them. I want it to win. But why I was calling, I was calling about Eddie. Eddie's a Costa Rican fan, right? Yes. Who calls in all the time? Yes. I wanted to say something to him, and this will now he'll have a bone to pick with me after this. All right. Is that everything was going right for them last night, Costa Rica. They, they were, if there was one more minute in that game, they were going to win. They, yeah. they were playing great. And still, they're throwing stuff all over the field. I yeah. mean, it was ridiculous the end of that game. And that's why the Gold Cup can't be played there. There, there was, Can well, okay. Uh, maybe, maybe. I mean, this stuff happens here when we have fans from other countries or even American fans have been. Let's not act like American fans are saints. Certainly bad things oh, happen when you. not. Okay. So, so and I, I know I, I'm saying this, that when they go to Montreal in two weeks or whenever that, their last game is, they're going to throw stuff on the field. Yeah. And it's gonna, Go right back in my face. Okay. I know we do it, and I always remember that guy in Dallas hitting his old yeah. player in the head with the bottle. Yeah, and it happens. It, it happens. does happen. No, but, yeah. but you're right. You're right. But I, last I, night, go ahead, Bill. There was nothing going wrong last night. Things were going right for them. They were come out. They were going to win that game. 
and they were still throwing stuff on the field and going crazy and everything well. else. And, and that's why, imagine if the United States was playing Costa Rica down there and they had a bad call, a bad penalty saying, all right, now U.S. wins in the 91st minute on the penalty. What would happen down there? Uh, it's a good question. Uh, I, it's, it's a very good question, yeah. Bill. I mean, I think that you obviously have to sort of trust the fans to, to behave themselves. I don't know that they, when you say that they were going to win, I mean, certainly there's no excuse for throwing things on the field. But it, when you say that they were going to win, maybe, but then they gave up the Romero goal to sort of put it at a further distance again. They were very, very close, and ultimately they did get to, to level terms on aggregate. But as 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 soon as Mex- as soon as Montreal scored that second away goal, they kind of knew they were screwed. But, well, not screwed, but it just made it tougher because they knew they were have to go to five instead of four. So it it just made it tougher. Thanks for the call, Bill. Thanks a lot, man. You got it. Oh, there you go. All right, we, we've had some technical issues here. I'm not technically on the air right now, so I'm, I'm just kind of filling here. Why don't I go ahead and take a what? What I'll do is I'll take a break. Uh, I'll find a way to to do that right now, and then I'll get us back on the air. This is only for you podcast people because the rest of the world isn't hearing this. And I'll come. Well, let's see. Hold on a second. Why don't we just do this then? Here. Uh, forget I said anything. Are we back on the air now? Because I just did a whole call with Bill in Rockland County that didn't. That isn't going to make the air. And let's uh, look at a bunch of people lined up. Apologies for that. Guillermo's on the line. What's up, Guillermo? Hey, I'm out of the air. Am I being watched by hundreds and hundreds of people? Uh, well, you're not actually visual. You're not. Vi- you're not visually. <laughs> You're not. You may be listened to by about seventeen people, and one of them, yeah, like like ten of them are pro rail zealots who hate my guts. So yeah, go ahead. Hey, good morning, man. First of all, I, I want to say congratulations, man. You got to two years. That, that's a big deal. Um, I believe that you have a product here that is it's actually a very niche product that you could you could market, uh, and and I think that you will do great. So congratulations. Appreciate that. Uh, what, you, what, you, what you have is not out there, so good job. I appreciate um, that. Go ahead. It's, yeah, I, I want to get into that CCL game, the Champions League uh, uh, down in Costa Rica. That was a crazy game. Uh, I mean, it, it's what our region is known for, I think. Rowdy fans, bad refereeing, guts, tackles, uh, goals, which is, is, is amazing to see. And, uh, and the Canadian team won. But I, I do want to make it clear to all these people who are rooting for MLS. I'm a huge fan. Yeah. But that is the Canadian champion. That is not sure. an MLS team. Uh, <laughs> that's the reason why they had an MLS referee in Montreal. And so try next year, guys. Okay. Uh, you guys still have a lot of work to do. Okay. Again, I don't, I don't, well, I have some sort of pride in that. Again, I don't know that that's the way it's supposed to be. Thanks for the call, Guillermo. I got to move on. When people get, when people get rah rah MLS like we did for RSL back in 2011, I, I see I see the reasons for it, but I I don't know that I'm there anymore. I don't know that I see a reason to root for Montreal because we're all in for MLS. If Montreal wins, that's Montreal's victory. That's not an MLS victory. They managed to navigate. Give and, and of course you wanted to get to the point where these teams are able to compete year in year out. So it won't even become an all in for MLS thing. We're all kumbaya. Let's hold hands. Washington, are you excited to see Montreal in the Champions League final? I am. I am, Jason. I am, and I, I got to say, I, I disagree with you a little bit. I think it is. Uh, I understand that they're not there as an MLS team. That there's is, is the best Canadian team. I get all that, 
but they still carry the MLS flag. It still says MLS on their jersey. You know, they still have the MLS patch. So I'm excited to see them there. I am. I'm very excited to see them there. I hope they win. And I will, I'm, you know, I'm not a Montreal fan at all, but I, you know, last night had me on pins and needles. And well, I, I was excited that they beat. I, I want to see, um, to be honest with you, I hope America wins because I want to see them play America and see how they handle Azteca. Yeah, I, I want to, I, I am excited. I am. That'd be amazing. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. Now, I know you watched and you called to talk a little bit about the NPR piece from Frank DeFord. What are your thoughts on that? Listen, man, I, it, it, it stung. It stung. I, I wanted, I don't agree with him. I think it's a matter of opinion. I know he's a baseball guy. I, I, I do know him because of the, uh, he's on the, the, you know, real sports. And I, so I do know who he is. Um, and, and I, I do have respect for him as a journalist. I think this is more his opinion than anything else. And I agree to disagree with him. Um, I wanted to know something though, because I, here's the part that really hit hard. When he was talking about, oh, MLS is like the Kardashians. I'm like, I, I kind of just <laughs> laughed it off. The one thing he said that kind of just stabbed me in the heart was when he said, even the U.S. coach says that their players are better off playing in Europe. And that was a reference to to Jurgen and his comments with Clint Dempsey. This really pissed me off. But again, this this is why I'm not worried about this, Washington, because I don't think Frank DeFord, and it's easy for me as a soccer fan, and certainly as somebody who does this every single day, to to throw stones at somebody who I might not who I think is is not necessarily well versed, but I can't imagine that Frank DeFord has a grasp in all of the nuances here. What I see is is Frank DeFord standing there watching all this stuff happen from a distance, going, "I'm not really interested in that sport anyway." But what I see looks like this, this, and this. Puts them in nice, neat little boxes. Writes up the clever little piece for NPR that he reads then and says something about the Kardashians. Or here's the line. Um, the the line is. Uh, uh, Americans, wait, wait, I had it here and I lost it. Dang it. Uh, something about British and... Uh, yeah, the Kate. <laughs> the Kate, uh, yeah. Okay, yes, the World Cup attracted terrific, terrific interest, but then so does Kate, the Duchess of Cambridge, every time she has a baby. Then it's all back to the first-rate exceptional diversions that we have right here. This is This is American exceptionalism wrapped up in the, uh, you know, sort of twisted because he's recognizing and he's had to recognize that soccer does have an audience here. So this is just, we're chipping away at these guys. And look, again, Frank DeFord is 76 years old, and that doesn't mean he's irrelevant completely. He's still a well-respected soccer, or sorry, sports writer. But it does mean that his, his era had no soccer at all or had a blip in the 1970s. He doesn't know, he doesn't understand, and that's fine. That, that's that's. It's part of uh, it's part of you know being an older sports writer. I'm with you. I'm with you. But my whole point was, I hope, and I know this is going to fall on deaf ears, but I hope that Klinsman takes this and understands that what he says has implications, and it hurts his fans. It does. It hurts you. It, it really stung me that that got thrown back in yeah. my face. Okay. So you know, I just but, but again, it, really, it hurt. He appreciate the phone call, Washington. He's preaching. He's preaching to the choir here. The the people that Frank DeFord is. The people that are nodding along with Frank DeFord are already, they were already people who were nodding along with being snobbish towards MLS or disrespecting MLS or ignoring MLS for whatever reason, whether it was because they don't have, the league doesn't have pro rel or because the way it operates single entity or because it's just flat American and nobody, no, no true uh, soccer fan can really appreciate anything that comes out of America on that front. He's preaching to people already converted and, and therefore it doesn't matter. Tyler, what's up? What's going on, Jason? Uh, you know, I'm doing a show. What's on your mind, Tyler? 
Um, no, I just wanted to call and talk about the um, the Ford article just for a second. Um, and I think um, maybe somebody had uh, replied um, in a tweet to you or something like that, but they said, um, they kind of noted what you said earlier that, you know, this is kind of progress because uh, maybe 10 years ago, this article by Frank DeFord would have said that, you know, nobody cares about soccer, period. And now he's having, he, you know, he can uh, get around the fact yeah. that soccer is here to stay. And so now it's shifted to, okay, well, it's just, you know, the American League here, whatever, whatever. Well, here's a, here's a great here's a great tweet that sums it up. This is from Charlie Fiction, who I don't think was tweeting at us, but doesn't matter, is tweeting at Wrong Side of the Pond, which is a good blog. DeFord in the 90s, the U.S. will never like soccer. DeFord in the 2000s, the U.S. will never like non-World Cup soccer. DeFord in the 2010s, or uh, this current decade, U.S. will never like MLS. So, yeah, as you said, this is sort of progressive. Now, we may never get to a point where Frank DeFord is writing a story about how we fully accept right. soccer and MLS is super popular, but that doesn't mean that we're not making a pro- we're not making progress towards that front. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then um, one more thing, if you have a quick second. Yeah, go for it. Um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of want also wanted to talk about the uh, whole like everybody get on board for you know Montreal sentiment, and I'm kind of like you, like back in 2011, um, I definitely got caught up in the rapture, if you will, for RSL. But um, I don't really feel it this time around. Like, I do think that there is value in terms of having an MLS team one day compete in that Club World Cup competition for obvious reasons. But I don't really, you know what I mean, like, feel the same, like, oh, like, everybody, we just got to pull for, for Montreal to, you know, go win this for us. Yeah, you know, I think there's a couple yeah. ways to look at this, uh, Tyler. I, I would agree with you for the most part, and that's obviously where my feelings are. But I, And I think that part of that is, you know, as the as the league matures and we're twenty years in now, what you should care about is your team. You're not necessarily you, you, there's no reason to care about MLS as a whole unless you have an inferiority complex when it comes to other leagues. And maybe you do. Maybe you're still hanging on. Can I really blame you if you have an inferiority complex over the way MLS is viewed next to Liga MX? No, I can't. But I think that as MLS gets older and more mature and the fan base is mature, what you're going to see and what you've already started to see is uh, fans who just care about their own team. I don't give a crap about Montreal. I care about what my team is doing and how well my team is doing. And that may, they may not be good for TV ratings. And we do sort of need a national footprint of the league for fans to be interested in whatever's going on wherever when those games are on Saturday, mm-hmm. uh, Friday nights and Sunday nights. But, but for the most part, you know, in the NFL or Major League Baseball or whatever, you care about your team. You care very. You, you care less about what other teams do, except for maybe seeing the stars play or the like. But at the same time, so the argument, you know, the the argument for being sort of league backers is: look at the way England responds when their teams drop out of European competition. Look at the way Italy. I mean, that, that's there's also some element of uh, of ranking leagues and the coefficients in Europe that mm-hmm. matter. But still, the English go nuts when their teams all drop out or their teams are, are, are dominating. It's sort of this, oh, let's fly the English flag, even though most of those teams are made up of foreign players. I, 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 it's, it, right. it cuts both ways, Tyler. Definitely, definitely. I mean, I think um, you, can't, you can't really, really be too, too mad at it because, um, I mean, as far as the European uh, aspect of it is concerned, when... Like you said, whenever when all all the teams are in there doing well, progressing in these uh, you know in these tournaments and whatnot, whether it be Europa League or um, Champions League, it's like that reflects back on the strength of the league. It's, I don't really think it's so much, you know, 
people really getting behind in the same, like these teams in the same way that we saw like in 2011 with RSL. It's more, hey, like as long as these English teams are in this competition, it's better for my own team because it makes us look better because we're a strong team in this strong league. That's that's a good point. That's a good point. Appreciate the call, Tyler. I'm going to start to wrap this up. Uh, There you go. Tyler in Virginia. Like again, this is going. There, there's two things. There's two things happening here. One, people saying don't re- don't read this, don't look at it, don't listen to it, don't give Frank DeFord the time of day. Who cares? It's a troll job. And yes, of course, it's a troll job. That's what uh, uh, crusty American sport writers, sports writers do when it comes to soccer. They troll us. We respond. We can't help it. But at the same time, I mean, look. Let's acknowledge that NPR is a big uh, a big outlet. That Frank DeFord's got a name. And you know, I would like to point some some things out here. I don't think it necessarily feeds the beast to make to to make issue out of Frank DeFord's piece here. And again, it's just a little piece. He's just identifying the fact that hey, soccer's got a thing going on, but MLS, and eh, that's not real good. I, I think it's interesting to note, and there are a couple of tells in here. One of the tells that Frank DeFord has in this piece is when he talks when he sets the stage for soccer growing in popularity, he says, "But today, soccer is indisputably more visible." Given American football's problems with brain injuries, more of our boys are likely to take up world football. That that's that's already minimizing soccer and its growth. I I don't think that you're going to see a large increase in the number of American males playing soccer at the youth level because of concussions in American football. Those parents who we're worried about concussions. Those kids are already playing soccer. Millions of kids are already playing soccer anyway. I don't know that we're going to see some sort of sh- fundamental shift from American football to, to soccer because, uh, because of uh, brain injury uh, stories, which, again, are important. And it's not, as though, it's not as though soccer doesn't have its own issues with brain injuries. John in Dallas, what's going on? Hey, uh, Jason, how you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. You're the last caller of the day. What's happening? Right on. So I'll, uh, I want to chat with you just for a second about the CoffeeCap Champions League. And, you know, I think you're, what I got from you was that, you know, you weren't really, you didn't really care one way or the other where, whether Montreal. No, I cared. You know, I did. I did. I, cer- I certainly, I was rooting for Montreal over Alouelense for sure. And, and partly because Alouelense is Costa Rican in that sense that frustrates me, which is they're Central American. They, they, they're more than happy to play dirty soccer. I mean, the fact that I don't even know who, who it was, the fact that they had a player go in when they were desperate towards the end of that match, go in high and two-footed on Evan Bush and get nothing for that play. Just the, Yeah, of course I was rooting for Montreal. I just don't know that I'm, I'm, flying the, I, I, I'm looking at Montreal as flying the MLS flag for me, that I'm, that they're, that I'm tying my self-worth as a soccer fan of MLS to Montreal's bid to win this title. But go ahead. Yeah, you know, and I don't disagree with, with what you're saying. I guess I would just say that, um, yeah, so I'm from Dallas, as I said. Would I love to see Dallas in the, uh, the Champions League final rather than Montreal? Absolutely, without a doubt. But the reality is they're not there. And so, and I don't have any interest in the, well, I have very little interest, I guess I would say, or lesser interest in the Costa Rican League because my team doesn't play in that league. So, so when I add all those things together, uh, I'm going to support Montreal. And, you know, whether they are flying the MLS flag for me, maybe, maybe not. But, but yeah. the reality is that they are the MLS representative, uh, and they're in the final, and, and the team that I support well, but, is in but, the MLS. But, but, so, John, but John, that somebody's already pointed that out. Technically speaking, they're not an MLS representative. They are, well, they're not an American MLS representative. The only reason that they are um, in this tournament is because they won a competition between, what is it, five 
Canadian clubs. And there is a possibility that in the future you could have a club like FC Edmonton or Ottawa win win that tournament and go on to the Champions League. So do you even recognize Montreal as being representative of, of MLS, especially considering they finished dead last in the East last year? And sure. And well, you know, I mean, yes. Are they the best that MLS has to offer? Of course not. Uh, you know, I, I, we see oftentimes, and I'll just I'll just use the FA Cup as, as an example, where where teams who are certainly not the best representation of the Premier League and may not even be the best representation of the of the league championship in the FA Cup final. You know, um, so your point about them being last in the East, yes, I, they were. Uh, is that ideal? I suppose it's not, but. I don't know. I, I again. I, I, you know. I, I and mean, yes. Okay. They technically qualified through a Canadian Championship, as you described. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe that. Le- maybe that technically says they're not the MLS representative. But, but I have to keep on coming back to the fact no, they, that they uh, are an MLS. There's a, there's obviously valid reasons to support them in this competition. It's certainly better for MLS if Montreal wins. There's no argument there. I'm not saying that, that MLS uh, that Montreal winning isn't a a boon to MLS on some level. It's just I think it's a matter of of each individual MLS fan, and I'm I'm also one of those weird MLS fans who doesn't actually have a team that I live and die with week to week. When most people do, you have FC Dallas. You care if they win or lose. I'm watching the whole league and sort of picking out stuff I want to watch or big games or best matchups. So in that in that regard, Montreal is interesting to me for what they are, rather than sort of whether or not they're going to go win a title and make MLS look good. But I get it, John. I appreciate the comment. Yep, there thanks, Jason. Uh, Great show, by the way, man. Really appreciate love it. it. All right, appreciate that. It is the uh, two-year anniversary of the show. We didn't plan anything awesome. We didn't like line up a bunch of old guests to come on and say something nice. We didn't put together a clip show, which, frankly, is insane an insane amount of work. To put together a clip show from two years of daily programs, I mean, I can't even imagine. I, I did, it just makes me makes me like sleepy thinking about it. But we did have we did have some great moments that people were putting up on Twitter. Go over to at Soccer Morning and throw them up there. Um, let us know what you liked. Obviously, we had a couple of things. Uh, Stu Holden was a guest on this show, guest host on this show one time. Do people even remember that? We also had obviously the president of the Iceland FA when Aaron Johansson made his decision to play for the United States. Uh, we had every, we had the guest DJ period when we uh, we we went through a fundraising and everybody picked their own music. We had some really cool moments on this show. Um, over the course of the last two years, and hopefully we'll have a third year. We'll do this all again in April of 2016. In the meantime, we've got to go. Thank you very much to Jeff Plush, the commissioner of the, North, of the National Women's Soccer League, and to Tom Marshall, Mexico World Cup, on Twitter for their appearances today. Go to backheel.com slash store, buy yourself a mug. Go to 3nailfc.com, buy yourself a T-shirt. Make sure you... Uh, Give us a rating and a review on iTunes. And uh, we'll talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye.